We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Nidia Han. She's an Emmy award-winning television journalist, TEDx speaker, and the creator of Hashtag This Is America, a provocative three-part documentary series about racism and the diverse American experience. Nidia co-anchors six ABC Action News Sundays and is the station's consumer investigative reporter. She gets real results for Action News viewers by troubleshooting issues and exposing scams as well as dangerous products. Nydia is also committed to using her platform to uplift, empower, and gain voice to traditionally underrepresented, marginalized groups. She's the recipient of the Pearl S. Buck International Woman of Influence Award, NAP Inspire Award, and Global Voice Award for the World Woman Summit. She was also named Outstanding Ally of Diversity and Inclusion by the Philadelphia Inquirer. She graduated from Mendel School of Journalism at Northwestern University, and her career has taken her to television stations in Idaho, Oklahoma City, and Texas. Nydia is on the Community Advisory Board for the Asian American Women's Coalition. She's also passionate about raising awareness and desperately needed funds for lung cancer research in memory of her mother. She enjoys good food, wine, and most of all, a good laugh. And she's trying really hard to teach her two young children to speak Korean. Welcome to ROG, Nydia. Thank you so much, Shannon. And I really appreciate your having me. My pleasure. I can't wait to connect and learn more from you. So could we start with a little bit about your story? Sure. I am a very proud Korean American. I was born and raised in a small town in Southern California. And as you mentioned, my adventures in television news began in Idaho, Pocatello, to be exact. From there, I became the crime reporter in Oklahoma City, then headed to the ABC station in Houston to be the consumer investigative reporter and get my first opportunities on the anchor desk. And I've now been in Philadelphia for almost 20 years. Whoa. Oh my gosh. And you do such amazing work. I love the docu-series you do and all of your consumer reportings. And you're right. A lot of what you share, you could save people millions of dollars if they if they really listen to your advice and you could help people to be more inclusive and respectful of others by really listening to your advice. So thank you for all the ways that you share your wisdom with us. Well, thank you for your generous words. I really appreciate it. Oh, for sure. So this podcast is committed to sharing thoughts, ideas, and inspiration about how to be generous leaders. In this series, the AAPI Voices is dedicated to learning more about the experiences of Asian Americans. What are some of the experiences and examples of race-related incidents and how have they affected you? Like pretty much any and every Asian American, I've dealt with incidents of ignorance and racism from the time I was a child. You know, in my neighborhood, very few people looked like me. And the consequence of that was kids taunted me for my almond-shaped eyes. They yelled ching chong, ching chong at me. People constantly asked me if I spoke English. And then as an adult, I still get some of the same questions. You know, do you speak English? Or how do you speak English so well? Or where are you from? No, where are you really from? And I've been called Connie. Chung, 
countless times when I've been out in the field shooting and in a variety of other ways, I've been made to feel like I don't belong in this country, that I'm not as American as everyone else. And a recent example of that, which ended up going viral, was when a driver yelled, this is America at me on a Philadelphia street. I decided after a lifetime of ignoring incidents like that to finally respond and to sort of reclaim those words, this is America. And so I did a live Facebook video that ended up going viral. Three million people watched it. Tens of thousands of people commented and shared it. And then I did a TEDx talk, basically asking people to really approach others with genuine curiosity and to try to get to know each other's stories, to get outside of our bubbles and move in. Because I think when we do that, um, we create more empathy and more generosity and a better understanding. And um, I think it can really help how we all move together through the world. And then I also created that docu-series, This is America with 6ABC and springboarding off of that viral video. Because my real questions were, why did this very minor incident strike such a major chord and with such a diverse group? And I also really wanted to get to know people who clearly had a different point of view than I did. Um, and so it was just a really interesting journey. I learned a lot myself and about others. So I'm grateful that I am able to continue this work and get to continue to understand other people's experiences and other people's points of view. Thank you for that. I remember when that came out, I remember being struck by your words and feeling your emotions as you were expressing them. And it was live. So you were rolling from your heart out of your mouth into our ears. And then so I heard you, I was struck by your words. I was changed by your words. And then to know that there were individuals who heard your words, who had a different point of view, who didn't hear them from that perspective and how you used your journalistic instincts to, to be curious about that and to say, I want to know more, like, what are they feeling and, and what is causing them to think that? And would they be willing to have a conversation with me? Now, I'm curious to know, why you wanted to have a face-to-face -face conversation with them about their reactions. That was very courageous of you to do. I think, and as we all now know, after having been at home during the pandemic and not connecting in person, that the ability to connect and understand and talk is very different in person versus online. And particularly, I think it is difficult to have a constructive conversation via social media. When I look at Twitter, especially, and the limited number of characters, it's hard to really dig deep and to really communicate with people in a way that you can really advance ideas and move the conversation forward. And so I really wanted to be able to dig deep and really get to know people and bring people out of social media. I mean, I think it's also easy to say all kinds of things when you're at a keyboard and no one can see who you are and no one really knows your own story. And so I wanted to know the person behind the computer, basically. And so, um, you know, I set out to find and talk to a lot of these people and Frankly, a lot of people didn't want to talk to me while they seemed comfortable to comment on social media. They didn't want to meet, meet, meet with me in person and talk to me on camera. And so I think they forgot that I'm an investigative reporter. So I found their home addresses and in some cases just showed up at their doors one day. And a few people were generous enough and kind enough to let me in. 
and to talk to me. And when we actually got to know each other, there were a lot of surprises. And it taught me that, you know, I had gone into those conversations with my own biases. I had labeled these people who had a different point of view for me as stupid unsophisticated, racist. Um, and I found that in a lot of cases, it was more complicated than that. And that, it, frankly, some of these folks were not any of those things. Mm, yeah. One of my favorite examples of that from your docuseries and also your TED Talk is Wayne. Can you talk to us about Wayne? Yeah. So on social media, he really kind of fueled the flames of conflict um, and basically made clear that he did not appreciate my This Is America video. He's one of the people who ghosted me after I asked him if he would talk to me in person and on camera. So I showed up at his house. He answered the door with his children. And it turns out he and I have a lot in common. We have children the same ages. We both love basketball. We both have upside down work schedules, which is why he was home in the middle of the day. And then when I got to know him, what he told me was that he had been on his own journey of self-reflection and understanding. And that after I reached out to him, he went back to my This Is America video and for the first time watched it in its entirety. And after he really heard my message and my entire message, he said that he saw it differently and saw his own responses differently, realizing that he had responded to me out of knee-jerk fear and anger. He, at the time, was working for a company and was seeing people losing their jobs and decided that he was going to blame people who looked different from him, um, myself included and Asian Americans included, I think. And so um, that was part of what triggered him to respond to my video the way that he did. You know, since then, he actually joined a fantasy football league um, where he's the only member who is not a person of color. And he's just used that opportunity to really understand the experience of someone who isn't white and who is in a marginalized and traditionally um, oppressed group. And he's learned a lot. And no one's saying that that one act has fixed racism by any means. But I think that it's one step toward all of us kind of opening up our hearts and our minds um, to a different possibility. Absolutely. There's so much in that example that really resonates and is an opportunity for us to learn. One of which is our impulsivity, our judgment, and our bias. So when he had not watched your entire video, he watched a piece of it. And then they call it keyboard warrior, you know, where he replied something. And thankfully you doubled back on it and you said, help me understand, you know, what, where are you coming from with that? What is causing you to feel that way? I mean, most of us don't do that. So what could you teach us about our impulsivity, our quick reaction to judge and to blame other people? We're seeing the consequences of our quick reaction to blame and scapegoat right now. So Asian Americans are being blamed for the coronavirus because it was first detected in Wuhan, China. And we are seeing a rise in hate and violence against the Asian American community and just this explosion of racism. I think, you know, this is an extreme example, but one that very much illustrates how critical it is that we step back and really approach each other with a lens that is very clear. When we come back, Nydia will share with us how fear causes us to default to hate and prejudice. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. 
At Quad Pod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit quadpod.com, you'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at qodpod.com, the Quad Pod Podcast Network. That's qodpod.com. And we're back with more from Nidia Han. This virus of hate moves. I wrote in an op-ed at the end of February, so more than a year ago now, that this is not just about Asians. It's about how we as humans default to hate and prejudice when we're afraid and uncertain. It's about how our knee-jerk reaction to seek blame and a scapegoat is detrimental to our entire society. Jews were persecuted and held responsible for the Black Death. Immigrant Irish workers were blamed for causing cholera. Africans were shunned during the Ebola outbreak. You know, in Pennsylvania, a 16-year-old high school player was brought to tears when he was taunted with chants of Ebola from players on a rival team. I mean, history has shown that racism bubbles up from the waters of these kinds of health crises and eventually come to a boil and, and, you know, burns us all. And the other thing that I think about a lot is Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I know a lot of people use that quote, but I think a lot of people don't know the back half of it, which is, he says, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one affects all indirectly. And I think a prime example of that and something that really illustrates how true that is, is the model minority myth. So this hate that we're seeing now against the Asian American community is perpetuated by the model minority myth. So the model minority myth is this idea that all Asians are smart and have the privilege of a certain social and economic status. And it's really dangerous because it discounts attacks against Asian Americans, racism against Asian Americans, and paints our very diverse group with one broad brush. And the term model minority emerged to describe Asian Americans as a group that's achieved success despite marginalization, and it's used to make unfair comparisons. It pits Asian Americans against Blacks and Latinos, basically to say to the Black community and the Latino community, you know, why can't you rise up when Asian Americans did? And it doesn't take into consideration systemic racism, the history of various marginalized groups, and the reality is that Asian Americans have the widest income inequality gap and some of the highest rates of poverty in this country. But it's hard for Asian Americans to get help. It's hard for Asian American resource groups to get funding, again, because there is this idea that Asian Americans don't need help. And again, it absolutely serves as a racial wedge between especially the Black community and the Asian community. And it is really destructive and detrimental, I think, for everyone. Um, So I think it's important that we really look at that and understand that if we want to eradicate racism, we have to do it for all groups. Absolutely. And that part of the quote that you highlighted about how whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly That's something I want all of us to stop and think about and absorb that because this is not just happening to fill in the blank. This is happening to all of us. There are realities in this country that are intolerable and we all are, we have to be a part of the solution together because there's no other way for us to make real lasting change. I appreciate you putting all of this 
on the surface for us by doing the work that you do and educating us in such a generous way. And, you know, you've researched and prepared for your TED Talk, your town halls, your, all the segments that you've offered us. What, what are some of the most shocking insights that you've gained? So I think two things. The recent town hall that we did was called Take Action Against Hate for Asian Americans. And one of the pieces that I did was about the history of discrimination and racism against Asian Americans. And I learned a lot uh, as I was producing that piece. For instance, I didn't realize that Asian Americans were lynched um, early on in this country. Um, I didn't realize that there was the PAGE Act even before the Chinese Exclusion Act. So the PAGE Act was the first US law uh, restricting immigration, and it applied to primarily Chinese women. And the language is something like, you know, preventing, quote unquote, lewd Chinese women from entering the country. And so it perpetuated and sort of created the stereotype in the 1800s. And then shortly thereafter, there was the Chinese Exclusion Act. And then many states in the United States enacted what are called alien land laws, uh, which basically prevented Asians from buying or leasing land. Um, and all of these laws were instituted and implemented because there was this idea that Asians were taking jobs away from people or that Asians were unpure. And so um, I guess I didn't realize just how deep and how far back this kind of racist policy occurred. And I had heard of Japanese American internment. I knew about that, but I also got the opportunity to learn more about the experience of the people who were in those camps. Learning about our history has been really great for me because the truth is, I don't think the history of Asian Americans is taught in the classroom. It's not in most textbooks. And certainly I didn't learn it when I was going to school. So I'm glad for this education now that I get to have through my job as I try to inform others. Um, and the, the, the thing that I really learned through This Is America, through my docu-series and through my TEDx talk was just that I needed to check my own biases. As I mentioned, I was making my own assumptions about people. Anyone who didn't like my video, I decided was racist and unsophisticated and I was wrong. And, and the other thing is, um, it, what was interesting was when I read the responses to my This Is America video that went viral on Facebook, a lot of people made assumptions about the driver's race, the woman who yelled, this is America at me, but I've never revealed her race. So for people who are listening to this, I wonder if you had a picture in your mind of what this woman looked like and what color her skin was. Um, and maybe that's something you can think about because I have never mentioned the color of her skin. How are we so quick to judge and blame and tell the story according to us and not actually circle back and say, okay, what is true about that? What is something I'm not seeing or how am I contributing to that? That's another powerful thing you say in your TED talk is I, you took responsibility for the part you're playing in this and how you're going to invest in your own education and your own growth just like all of us need to, like everybody needs to do their work. And I also love your final closing thought where you say, don't go to social media, go to work, right? <laughs> go to work. And that's, that's something every one of us, I think has the responsibility to do, not just the invitation to do, but we're all responsible to do the work because we're also at a, all at a different stage of this process. We also have different life experiences that are affecting how we're seeing things. So I think it's a personalized approach 
to how all of us are going to continually improve and be more inclusive. Um, so what are some of the common challenges that Asian Americans typically experience that are probably not well known or not well understood? I think number one is how much we are blamed for things that happen overseas. So if something is happening with China, then all of a sudden it's every Asian American's fault. Um, you know, when Japanese cars were flooding the American marketplace, there was so much anger at Asian Americans. And so, you know, Vincent Chin was murdered by a former Chrysler worker and a current at the time Chrysler worker because they blamed him for their job loss and, and, and for their issues at work. Um, and, and, you know, Vincent Chin was Chinese American. He wasn't even Japanese American. But again, you know, we are Americans, period. And so I think it's, I, I don't think people really stop to consider how, frankly, bizarre it is that we are constantly blamed for things that happen in other countries. Um, secondly, I think people, many people fail to recognize the diversity within our group. You know, we come, our ancestors come from so many different countries. We speak totally different languages. We have different religions, uh, again, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, and, you know, there are, there is something that binds us, but um, there is a lot that differentiates us from one another. And I don't think people really appreciate the diversity within the Asian American Pacific Islander group. Yes. Yeah. And it's a huge population of people with, with a broad range of countries and languages and cultures. Is there racism even within the AAPI community? There is. And I think that's something that every community needs to look at. You know, I think every community struggles and we have to acknowledge and confront um, the racism, and the biases that we all have within um, as we're trying to, you know, ask people to support us and to end racism for everybody. And so what would you recommend or what are some things you've seen work or if you could encourage our listeners to take action that you think actually would make a difference? What are some of the recommendations that you have for us? Right now, it's to be informed, be aware of what's happening to our community, share our stories, learn our history, take the initiative to buy or borrow a book about the history of Asian Americans, follow Asian American leaders and community members who post about um, our issues and amplify our stories. I just say stand up for us and intervene. And there was just that attack in Hell's Kitchen where there were all these bystanders just, just watching um, someone get attacked. And so I think a little more bystander intervention would be helpful. And then help someone report an incident. Crimes against Asian Americans are underreported. Um, sometimes there's a language barrier. Sometimes there isn't a certain trust or connection with police or people don't know how to report. And so you can help with that. Um, I've been really heartened by stories across the country of people volunteering to take walks with elderly Asian Americans or neighbors standing guard outside homes belonging to Asian American families who've been targeted with racist threats and vandalism. Just today, an extraordinarily gifted photographer 
photographer friend of mine, Andrea Cipriani, just reached out and said, I saw your post about the recent attacks. There was just an attack on an Asian American woman here in Philadelphia on Easter Sunday. Last night, there was an attack on a 64-year-old Chinese man in Chinatown. And the perpetrator allegedly yelled, you gave me coronavirus. And so I posted about that on social media and Andrea then reached out to me and said, this is so heartbreaking. If there's anything that I can do as a photographer, I'm offering my services. And I just thought that was so meaningful. And I'm trying to connect with these victims now to learn who they are and to tell their stories. And I think Andrea could help me do that really beautifully. So, you know, there are all kinds of ways that people can take their talents and strengths and skills and and bring them Um, to us uh, and offer to do something that could be really powerful. Um, I also think use your pocketbook, right? I mean, it's easy, frequent an Asian American business, watch a movie made by an Asian American or that features Asian American actors. uh, And finally, donate to an organization that is working to stop the hate. I mean, there are some great organizations out there. Stop AAPI, hate comes to mind. Here in Philadelphia, we've got the Philadelphia Chinatown Development Corporation, Asian Americans Advancing Justice. There's so many great groups out there doing the hard work. And also in Philadelphia, we have Asian Americans United and the um, Asian Mosaic Fund. Yes, absolutely. And we'll make sure that those links are in the show notes for all of you listening and are hearing this and you want to learn more about these organizations that you could support to help stop the hate and to spread the love. So there's all kinds of things that people can do. But I would say one thing we can't do is nothing. That's right. Right. Exactly right. (laughs) Yes. So taking some steps to be a force for good. You shared a beautiful quote by Martin Luther King that I think is important for us to take into heart. Is there another quote that you have that really speaks to you? So one of my heroes is Pearl S. Buck. You know, a lot of people know her as the author, but she was an incredible humanitarian and activist. And one of my favorite quotes by her is just this reminder that it is our responsibility to continue to shape this country and to make it what we want it to be. Her quote is, America's strength is drawn from all peoples and her future depends on us all. We must teach our children native born and foreign born alike, that there is no final America yet, that they are making America too by what they themselves are, regardless of what others are. And that's just so powerful and something that certainly I try to do in my own household and try to do and encourage others to do um, in the work that I'm able to do through 6ABC. Yes. Oh, and you do it so well. And for us to really celebrate who we are. You know, to, to it's, she, she says that by being themselves as they are, right? Don't try to be something else because then who would be you? <laughs> we need each of us to be ourselves. <laughs> yeah, especially right now. I think it's hard, especially if you're a young Asian American, to feel proud sometimes and to hold your head up high. And so what I always say to kids is I am a proud and unapologetic Asian American and a proud Korean American. And when I think about the gifts of our ancestors, I am so grateful. And, you know, I wouldn't be who I am, right, without if I weren't Korean American. And, um, you know, there are so many traditions and cultures, uh, uh, cultural things that have been passed on to me that, um, 
have really enriched my life. And so, you know, every New Year's Day, for instance, I look forward to doing sebe, which is like a big bow that you do to your elders and then they give you money. <laughs> um, I love eating tokuk and talking, which is rice cake soup. And I love kimchi. And, um, you know, I have a certain bond, frankly, with my Korean American and Asian American friends because, you know, um, we do have these commonalities and there's something really beautiful and special about them. I, for me, the bottom line is to move in because it's hard to hate close up. So what does that mean? Share your story, ask others to share their stories, approach each other with genuine curiosity and kindness, check your biases and really get out of your bubble. Take the initiative to get to know others. Thank you. We so needed to hear this today. I appreciate you as a human and as a reporter and as a, as a fellow American and for your humility to talk about your journey and how you're continuing to grow and evolve and encouraging us to do the same. So thank you. Thank you, Shannon. I really appreciate your talking to me today and taking the time and inviting me to be on your wonderful show. ROG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Well, Nydia just nailed it move in because it's hard to hate close up. Share your story and ask others to share their stories. Corn Ferry developed an assessment tool called the Inclusive Leader, and one of the factors recommends that we develop a habit of sharing our stories and being really interested in our team members' stories. It helps us to build trust and a more inclusive team. Approach each other with genuine curiosity, that sense of wonder and openness, I see everyone like an iceberg, not in the temperature sense, but in the sense of depth and mystery. There's so much beyond the surface. We've got to get curious about each other. You never know what someone is going through. Be kind always. Check your bias and take the initiative to get to know others. If we do that, we're on the right track. Stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.